um, with a topical message in regards to preparing ourselves for this year and doing it in a way that is glorifying to the Lord. And so we're going to be in Nehemiah today. So please turn your Bibles with me to Nehemiah. We're going to start in chapter 1. And although we're not going to, um, per se, do what we normally do and, and study like good portions of each chapter at a time, we're going to get a good overview of the leadership of Nehemiah and his vision, really his vision that uh, the Lord had given him in regards to his people and really following through with God's will uh, for him at that time. Um, So the title of this morning's message is Moving Forward by Looking Upward. Looking forward, or Moving Forward by Looking Upward. Now, let me start off with this statement. You know about New Year's resolutions, right? Let me tell you that New Year's resolutions are a waste of time. Have you made some already? They are indeed a waste of time, especially if you don't intend to keep them. Or if they're only wishful thinking. In fact, the University of Scranton conducted research on New Year's resolutions, and they concluded it just earlier in December, December 11, 2016, and this is what they came up with. 45% of Americans usually make New Year's resolutions. So only less than 50%, one out of two, make New Year's resolutions. 17% of Americans infrequently make New Year's resolutions. And then 38% of Americans never make New Year's resolutions. It's like, hey, why even try? We're not going to make it. So 38%, almost 4 out of 10 people just absolutely refuse to make New Year's resolutions. Well, 8% of those who do make New Year's resolutions actually achieve them. Only 8%. So if you take 45%, uh, let's just say one out of two people, and only 8%, that means that cut the 8% into 4% of the actual people who make them, only about 3 to 4% achieve or find success in their New Year's resolutions. And they said this, quote, people who explicitly make resolutions are 10 times more likely to attain their goals than people who don't explicitly make resolutions, close quote. So that means that um, the people who jot them down in detail, um, work out their goals, it's kind of like beginning with the end in mind, and that's so true. It's kind of like, okay, so this is where I want to be by the end of the year, and so what's it going to take um, for me to achieve that goal on a daily basis? It's the little things that we do every day. And so that's what that statement means. We're 10 times more likely to attain our goals if we explicitly make those resolutions. 39% of people in their 20s achieve their resolution each year. That's pretty good. Now, for those of you over 50, 14% of people over 50 achieve their resolution each year. It's kind of like, what happened? (laughs) I thought we were supposed to be the wise ones, right? (laughs) It's like we make the resolutions, we know how to get to them, and we get to them, right? And people over 50 tend to be the ones that fizzle out more than people in their 20s. I don't know about people in the 30s and 40s. Uh, I guess we were just out of the whole research (laughs) here, or we didn't mean much. Um, But that was significant. Now, check this out. Length of resolutions. In In other words, the time that they actually 
endure in their making, in us following through. In the first week, 25% fall off. First week, 75%. Two weeks, 71%. One month, 64 And by the time we reach the six-month mark, only 46% of the resolutions, of the people who make resolutions, are sticking to them or making some kind of attempt. And that's not to say what happens like towards the ninth month, the ninth month, tenth month, and you know, so on and so forth. So, but here's the thing is, it is important to make goals, understand why you're making them, and then work hard to achieve them. And by the way, you need to be willing to sacrifice to reach them. Now, I'm not going to be talking to you about personal goals. I'm not, talk- not going to talk to you about casting your vision for your personal life. That's between you and the Lord. And there are things that we study in God's Word that will point to those things. And all I can do is teach and encourage you and pray for you. But really, it's up to you to apply those truths to your lives and make personal goals within your own family, in your workplace, in your community, in the sphere of influence that God has entrusted to you. Now, some of the things that I could point out is that the morality of why we pray, this is important, the morality of why we pray, why we seek and know God's will according to his word, make goals accordingly and work to achieve them, ultimately is acting on giving God our best and glorifying him. And and it always needs to go back to the morality of it. Why is it that we're doing what we're doing? Otherwise, we tend to be like those who kind of fizzle out and stop doing those things which are important, as Stephen pointed out. Why? Because we don't know why we're doing it. God said so, but why are you doing it if God said so? Is that important to you? Well, as God's, God's people, it should be. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work hardly as for the Lord and not for men. Why give God our best? Why is that important? Well, Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, not ours, we're his. We're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for, this is because for the purpose of, Why? Good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Whenever you see the word walk in the Bible, it means that we we live it out. That's what it means. And by the way, it is a journey to abide in Christ and live out those things which bring him glory. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And being transformed by the renewal of our mind, how is that done? It's done by the word of God, by going through and knowing what he says, how it is that he speaks to us. As a church, we're setting goals for this year in the areas of evangelizing, discipleship, and missions. And I'm asking you now and encouraging you to be a participant in what God desires for us to do and for us to be as a church. Now, when you set targets to hit, 
And, and that is having a biblical vision. Everything changes. Everything changes. It's like life comes to a place for us that it's never been before. It, it, comes, it comes alive in ways that we've never imagined life can be. That's why I told you early, the, the, earlier, the Christian life is not static. It is dynamic. It's always changing for the better. Not that our circumstances are always pleasing to us, but we understand that there's always hope in Christ and that there's a purpose for our lives and everything that takes place within them. Proverbs twenty nine eighteen is perhaps, because it's always quoted in the King James Version, um, is misquoted and, and mistaught many times. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. That means the people are discouraged. But blessed is he who keeps the law. Now, you might know it this way. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Right? Now, if you take a look at this, we're talking about prophetic vision. What, what defines prophetic vision? What the Lord gives you in a, in a dream? What you kind of conjure up in your own mind? No, it's actually not. If it's not aligned with God's, God's word, that's not it. Prophetic vision, biblically speaking, is what the Bible sets out for us. That is prophetic vision. Not what some guy on TV says God gave him a vision for. And by the way, send in $10,000 and you'll be extremely blessed and be a... No, right? It's nothing like that. But where there is prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. Where there is no prophetic vision. Now, purpose is introduced and you have something to measure your time and effort by. You live uh, life in a calculated, purposeful manner to God's glory. It's like everything that you do now, when you know God's word, has purpose, it's calculated. That means that you're growing in God's word, in the knowledge of God's word, and you're applying that knowledge in a way that's glorifying to God that's called godly wisdom. That is awesome. When I see that in your lives, it blesses me. Why? Because I know that you're growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You're responding to his voice. You're responding to his word. Everything changes the moment biblical goals are introduced. And you look at them often to remind you and to help you stay on course. That means reading the Bible daily, knowing God's word, spending time with him. 2017 has arrived. It's here, whether we like it or not. And Lord willing, we have 365 days to work this year to God's glory or until Jesus comes back for his bride which no doubt is soon. We need to live our lives with great expectancy, greatly anticipating the return of Jesus Christ for his bride because the stage is set. Worldwide, prophetically, we're in a place to where we are awaiting his arrival. But we wait, how? By being about the Father's business. And we need to learn what that is. This morning, I want us to take a look at Nehemiah and understand some of the elements that were significant in the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem because I believe that those elements are critical to understanding and acting on the will of God today. Now, this took place in 445 B.C. 
during a time when the remnant of God's people in Judah were in great distress and the walls of Jerusalem were broken down. Basically, the city lay in ruins at this time. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to, to King Artaxerxes, king of Persia, that is present-day Iran. Nehemiah heard of the condition of Jerusalem, how it lay in ruins, and the people were in great tr- trouble. And then this is what it says. Nehemiah sat down and wept and mourned for days, and he continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And after Nehemiah inquired about his people in Jerusalem, realized their condition, and was burdened by the circumstances, he mourned, prayed, and fasted, and readied himself to take action. King Artaxerxes made Nehemiah governor of Judah. Uh, Nehemiah traveled to Jerusalem with the intention of rebuilding the wall. He, at that point, assessed the damage, everything that that needed to take place, assembled a team. He did face opposition, but victoriously rebuilt the wall altogether in an amazing 52 days. So we can glean something from this story and be encouraged to look at this year with great excitement, knowing that God can do the impossible through a people who are simply willing and are completely submitted to Him. And are willing to do everything to glorify him. So before we get into Nehemiah, let's pray. Father, we want to commit this time into your hands, Lord. As it's already been committed, Lord, we ask, Lord, that you would, Lord, speak to us this morning. Father, encourage your people. Remind us of the things that are important. And help us from this day and the other 364 days of this year, Lord, truly live to bring you glory. Be willing to stand up and to roll up our sleeves and work to serve you, to bless you. And so, Father, we commit this time into your hands, Lord. We do ask your blessing, Father. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the first part of this, the first key point that I want to point out is um, that Nehemiah inquired. He realized Uh, the reality of the condition or the circumstances that uh, his people were in, and he was burdened. Let's start off in Nehemiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. It says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the twentieth year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. Verse 4, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the, the God of heaven. So, the first thing that Nehemiah does is he does inquire. He does ask the question, what is the state of life around us? Is something that we should be willing to ask. What is it? I mean, let's look at it not with, um, kind of stand, stand back, not with biased eyes, but, but just, Lord, show me life around me with your eyes. Truly for what it is. Not for what I wish it would be, but what, what is the condition of life around me? 
Nehemiah was willing to inquire when he very well could have remained quiet and, keep, and kept to himself. I mean, think about it. Ne- Nehemiah, I mean, he was in a foreign land and under the authority of a foreign ruler. But you could say that for Nehemiah, life was good. Serving the king and having no cares or worries, you could say that maybe he was personally blessed and it was God's will, quote-unquote, that he just remain out of the, quote-unquote, action. After all, why would God have brought him there to begin with? See, sometimes we're fooled by, by that. It's like, well, why would God have brought me here? And now he, you know, he's burdening me with this. And how does this all tie in together? Pay attention. Pay attention because God prepares you for certain things. Moses was prepared to lead God's people out of Egypt. And by the way, he was a man to bring him into the promised land, but he messed up and Joshua was a man for that, right? How long did God prepare Moses? Was it 40 years? No, it was actually 80 years. 80 80 years? 80 years in Pharaoh's home and then in the wilderness and then brought him into Egypt to be the one to take him out. Here's God's will. Whether we're at home or away, this is speaking of um, when we're at home in these bodies, we're away from the Lord. That's what the Apostle Paul was, was uh, referring to in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But he says, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And so we're going to give an account for everything that we've done. And I don't say this so that, okay, I can hold this over you and then therefore, you know, twist your arm to do things that, that we want you to do. That, that's not the point. As God's people, we should be encouraged by these words. Hey, listen, we're going to be held accountable. Each and every one of us. We should know God's word, apply it to our lives, to his glory. Having nothing to do, you know, it's not unto as if unto men, but it's as if unto the Lord, because it is unto him. We're going to have to give an account to him. But that's the will of God. In any circumstance, to aim to please him in everything. Now, Nehemiah inquired because he cared and because he wanted to know and was about to be used to carry out God's will. He will soon realize that. You and I, we need to inquire as to what the state of the church is and our world and be willing to do something, anything that's in line with God's will. Some are unwilling because, and this is unwilling to even inquire, and and you know how this goes. If I don't ask, then maybe I won't be held accountable, you know? And really, the bottom line is, I'm just unwilling to do something. That's what it really comes down to. I, I don't want to step out. I'm too busy. I'm telling you. I, I'm, I'm so thankful for, for men like Stephen and Charlie 
and um, Randy and many of you that, you know, have stepped forward and, and regardless of your busy schedules, regardless of, you know, where life has you, and life is not perfect. It's not perfect for me and my family either. But I'm so thankful that I'm surrounded by men who are willing to do the important things and even sacrifice alongside, locking arms truly and moving forward because it is encouraging. It is uplifting. Knowing what we're called to do as a church and to be and then doing it together. Sometimes we don't ask because we're not willing to work. We're, we, we know the state of the church. We know the state of the world around us. For Nehemiah, he goes on in verses 4 through 11 to realize, and we can see here how it was that he was burdened. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I know Uh, that I, I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. And then Nehemiah writes, Now I was cupbearer to the king. So for Nehemiah, he realized the reality of life, where everything was, and he was deeply burdened. He was confessing. And he knew God's word. Nehemiah had not acted yet, but in fact, at the same time, he was taking action. At this moment, he was in the process of realizing the state of his people, and he was burdened, sitting down, weeping and mourning for an extended period of time before the God of heaven. And and that's what he confessed. That's what he acknowledged. I'm doing this not inwardly, not toward anyone else. It's I know I'm sitting here and I'm praying and I'm fasting and I'm mourning and I'm weeping before the God of heaven. That's very important for us to do. As, as you consider life, sit down and as, as God you know, gives you that revelation, as he reveals the circumstances of our world today, sit down with him. Before the God of heaven. And Nehemiah confessed to God his sin and their sins. A lot of times we sit in church and if we, if we don't have someone ne- sitting next to us to elbow, we're in our 
minds elbowing, saying, oh, this is something that, uh, you know, John really could have used. He should have been here. Um, But listen, we need to personally be humble before the Lord. Nehemiah was humble before before the Lord. The word tells us a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, these you will not despise. And he will not turn his back on. He will not reject. He will, he will not turn his face upon or from. But he was humble and he confessed his sins and their sins. That they've acted corruptly against him. Not having kept the commandments and the statutes. Basically not, not keeping perfectly God's word. We have not kept your word. And dealing with the consequences. He acknowledged that. As God had told him would come. We live in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, Philippians 2.15, and among a people who have been given up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Romans 1.28, among people who are lost, dead in their sins, in darkness, and will be subject to eternal damnation without receiving grace through Christ by faith in Him. I just told you the condition of our world today. And as a church, the question is, have we kept to God's commandments to seek and save the lost? To proclaim the gospel and to make disciples of all nations? Have we gone near and far to make sure all hear the good news? And I tell you, and I'm confessing, you know, for all of us, The answer is no. We are guilty and we must confess that we have fallen short of God's will. Most people never evangelize. Most people never share their faith. Most people are never even willing to inquire what the problems are and be willing to submit themselves to truly sacrificing for the Lord, which is no sacrifice at all. Nehemiah pleaded with God to hear him. Are, are, are we, do we have that heart? Are we pleading, God, please hear my confession. Please hear me and we confess before you. Have mercy upon us. Give us favor to do your will. Nehemiah was pleading with God to hear him and to have mercy upon him and them, God's people, to receive God's favor for opportunity to do something. And that's what I pray for this year, that as we confess our sins to the Lord, that at the same time, knowing His Word, knowing that we are a people that need to get back up and continue to move forward. Why? Because of God's grace. Because He is a God of second chances, of third chances, of fourth chances, and He desires that we continue to get back up. That we get up as a church and we move forward. Let me tell you that we have a missions trip scheduled for Maine. We have a small group of people who are going. And before the end of the year came to an end, 2016, in just conversation, it came up and God placed it upon a person to give specifically for that mission strip. And it was a significant, significant amount. I tell you that to encourage you. Because where God leads, where God guides, he provides, as the saying goes. Right? We're stepping out on faith. 
We're going to Haiti in May. And we're going far to proclaim the gospel, to build up the church. And God is not in the midst of it. He's leading us. We need to stand up, church, and we need to be willing to, as, as my wife prayed earlier today, what did God remind Moses of? Who formed your mouth? I did, the Lord says. Don't worry about what you're going to say when you're before the authorities. Don't worry about what you're going to say when you're before your neighbor or your friend or the person you, you meet on the street. God will give you the words to say, to tell them that Jesus saves. That the good news is that God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us in our place. And Nehemiah pleaded with God to hear him and to have mercy upon him and them to receive God's favor for opportunity to do something. And then secondly, Nehemiah was prepared to act, and he did act, and then he assessed the the whole situation, and and then he assembled a team. Let's read in chapter 2, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence, and the king said to me, why is your face sad? Seeing you are not sick. This is nothing but sadness of the heart. And I was very much afraid. I said to the king that the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad? When the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? Interesting, right? God can move the hearts of kings. So I prayed. To the God of heaven. Obviously it wasn't lengthy. But he prayed. And then in verse 5. And I said to the king. If it pleases the king. And if your servant has found favor in your sight. That you send me to Judah. To the city of my father's graves. That I may rebuild it. And the king said to me. The queen sitting beside him. How long will you be gone? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me. When I had given him a time, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. It continues, verse 9, Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Keep that in mind. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days, and I arose in the night I and a few men with me, and I told no one that my God had put into my heart. uh, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. Uh, There was no animal with me, but the one on which I rode. I went on by out by night by the valley, uh, by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, 
And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool. But there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall. And I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of, the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up. And build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. So we we see here in this story Nehemiah how it was that he prepared himself and he acted and he acted immediately. We need to inquire as to what the state of our world is and to be willing to do something, anything that is in line with God's will. But we need to take the time to be prepared for that moment, this these divine opportunities that present themselves to us. And the question, of course, is, are you ready for those divine appointments? Are you praying, reading, studying, looking for, willing, being willing and ready for a God-given opportunity, that divine appointment? Do you expect it to come? The saying goes, maybe you'll be lucky. You know what luck is? When preparedness and opportunity meet. That's all that is. Right? It's in God's economy everything, there's a purpose to everything. So it's not luck. It's not by chance. It's on purpose that these things happen. Nehemiah pleaded with God for mercy and and for favor, for opportunity basically to do something, and God gave that to him. It's amazing how they had this conversation. Now, it was a death wish to come into the king's presence and have a sad countenance. And yet, Nehemiah was thinking he was keeping this back from the king, and the king said, you, you have a sad look on your face. Obviously, this is of the heart. This is something deep. What's going on, Nehemiah? And as soon as, soon as God gave him that opportunity, Nehemiah acted. He acted immediately, confident in requesting letters and resources and safe passage. He had it all figured out. Nehemiah didn't shrink back from the opportunity that God had laid before him, but sprung forward with great anticipation for what God desired and had planned to be done. This is a great lesson. This is a great lesson for us. Nehemiah assessed the work to be done, and in his mind, he had already assembled the team that was necessary for the work, and he wasn't even there yet. It was was all done in Nehemiah's mind. That is awesome. That totally defeats the whole justification of not making goals. Why? Because we live in the day and God has the day planned for us. And why look to tomorrow? Why worry about yesterday? No, no, no. Sometimes God lays it on our hearts. Hey, start with the end in mind. Obviously, God has given us the beginning and the end and everything in between, how it all happens. And for our lives, there's a purpose. For I know the plans I have towards you, says the Lord. You guys can finish it, right? What is it? 
thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Every day, everything is, is for us to walk in, to live out to his glory. He has the details of our lives. We either walk in his perfect will or he, uh, we take detours and we go off and it's permissible and he disciplines us in those detours that we take. Why? Because he disciplines those whom he loves. But he does have a perfect will for our lives. And he was prepared to act. Well, how can we be prepared to act? Well, we can be prepared by praying. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says to pray without ceasing. Jeremiah 29.12 and 13, right after 29.11 that we just quoted, it says, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Ephesians 6.18 says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So we are to pray for one another. That's important. Or else it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be in God's Word. Hey, listen, I, I hear your thoughts and all that, so no need for prayer. No, no, no. Our Lord was the one who demonstrated that. It was important. And regularly, He removed Himself and sought time with the Father and spent a great amount of time with him in prayer. Study. We can be prepared. We can prepare ourselves by studying. 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed of rightly handling the word of truth. And then we need to live it. Psalm 119.105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It shows us where we're standing and then the path that we are to take. We need to follow it because in Psalm 1, 1 and 2, it says, Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. If you know God's word, then you are prepared with wisdom to properly assess and even assemble to accomplish what God desires, if you're willing. What is God's will for your marriage, for your children? for your work, for your church, for the world that is the lost, and for you personally to do in each and every one of those areas. None of what the Lord desires in your life will become a reality until you know Him and are willing to jump in with both feet. Here are some examples. Goliath would not have been defeated had David not been willing to step out of the ranks of the fearful and paralyzed to challenge the giant confidently. He knew that. <laughs> Who are you defying? I know my God. I know with him, nothing is impossible. I know I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Peter would have never known what it was like to walk on water if he hadn't swung both legs out of the boat toward Jesus. Paul would have never known what could be possible in taking the gospel to the Gentiles if he hadn't packed his bags and headed into what he considered to be the unknown. Be prepared to act. You can, with God's word and his wisdom, assess and assemble and do the work but know that there will be opposition. Verse 19. 
It says, But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. That is an awesome response by Nehemiah. The warning for us is beware of distractions, temptations, and challenges. Some of the challenges that we deal with are yesterday. All of it is opposition. Nehemiah dealt with these oppositions from without, and in chapter 6, from opposition from within. Life is full of distractions. We've got to admit that. And many good intentions and good beginnings are lost in the midst of any one of the many distractions that come our way. Ephesians five fifteen through 17 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord, what the will of the Lord is. Are you preoccupied with distractions, opposing you, serving the Lord, doing His will? Because you'll only move forward this year if you look upward and trust the Lord and remain steady and focused. John 16, 33, uh, Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. There will be opposition from without and opposition from within. Nehemiah again dealt with both, but be wise and discerning and remain steadfast in the Lord. In fact, jot down Nehemiah chapter 6, and you'll see exactly what he dealt with, as, as we're not going to turn there for lack of time, but jot that down. Read it and see how it was that Nehemiah responded to that opposition from within. Now, in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It's not empty. Opposition can come in the form of, first of all, opportunities as far as entertainment, sports, financial, career, vacation, and the list can go on and on. Take, take that into consideration. Criticism. Opposition can come in the form of criticism. False accusations of self-righteousness. Oh, that's really common with Christians. Especially from those people who are closest to you. Right? Criticism. False accusations of, felt, of self-righteousness. Neglecting self, family, others. Nothing brings out critics like a determined work in the Lord. Nothing. Thirdly, is Fear. Nothing will stumble and paralyze a work of the Lord better than a frightening thought of failure. It stops you before you even try anything. It may cause you to stumble at a certain point. It's it's a fear to appear a certain way to people that isn't favorable. And by the way, all these things you will see in Nehemiah chapter 6 as you read through it. John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19 says, If the world hates you, Jesus was speaking, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would, have, would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So we need to know, we need to be aware of opposition, be prepared to deal with it, have the same conviction as Nehemiah did. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. I want to share with you, I don't normally... 
do this, but um, there are certain books outside of the Bible that I will um, recommend. One is Warren Wiersbe's The Strategy of Satan. He, he has nothing new. We need to be able to recognize these forms of opposition and deal with them quickly and swiftly. And, and just make sure that our pride is knocked down. And this is a good book. If you want to take a look at it, it's there. The Strategies of Satan by Warren Wiersbe. Read through it. It's all scripture. He, he's just he's an old liar, a deceiver. He tries to destroy you, to break you down, break up your marriage, your friendships. In your action, your work, your service unto the Lord. He tries to do all of those things. So we need to see what the will of the Lord is. Look upward so that we can move forward in an effective manner. And I pray that for us this year. The great danger, and Michelangelo said this, quote, the great danger for most of us isn't that our aim is too high and miss it, but it is too low and we reach it, close quote. So inquire, realize, and be burdened. I pray that for you. I truly do, because it's a good thing. Secondly, prepare, act, assess, and assemble, all according to how the, how the Lord prepares you to act and assess and assemble. And thirdly, be prepared to deal with opposition. It's going to come. How we are convicted in our hearts will determine how we respond to those forms of opposition. Regarding your personal lives, I can only show you what God's word says about them and how to live them for his glory. It's up to you to walk them out. Regarding the church, I lay before you the things that we will be doing to fulfill God's will for us this year. Like I said, one is the mission strip in, in May. We have a men's and women's that I shared with you that we're starting back up next week. We're here Wednesdays. We're here Sundays teaching the word of God. We have prayer, men's and women's. Every Sunday at 9 a.m., we get together in a small room at the front of the, the church here, and, and we pray I invite you to participate in all of that. That's for us as a church. That's not just for a select few. That's open to all of us. Take part in that. Take advantage of that. Because that's what it means to fulfill God's will. And then step out and do those things that God points out for us to accomplish according to God's word. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There are life books, invite cards, Bible studies, Sundays and midweek and Haiti missions trip in May and others that, as God gives us opportunity. Number one, be an evangelist. 2 Timothy 2.5, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. doesn't mean that you have to be uh, you know, gifted in evangelism. evangelism. It just says, do the work of an evangelist. That's all. That's what we're called to do, all of us. Be a disciple-maker. I quoted Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Be a prayer warrior. I had quoted earlier, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, to pray without ceasing. Proverbs 29, 18, also, I had quoted that. Because we need to know God's word, his prophetic vision. That's what I place before you, is God's word. Nothing else. I've said it before, I'm not here to motivate you personally and, you know, finding success financially and all of those things. I want you to have success in being faithful to the Lord. And let every, everything else fall where it may. 
Success is a sum of small efforts repeated day in and day out. I don't know who the author was, but it's true for each and every one of us. Take each day and do those things that are important. Do those things that God calls us to do and pay attention to what He reveals to us and be willing and prepared to walk them out. Success in Christ is faithfulness. Each day take a step forward by looking upward, by spending time in His Word, on your knees, praying and consistently being in fellowship with other believers who will encourage you and love on each other in support to good works. We can refer to Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 as far as that's concerned. And so they strengthen their hands for the good work. And the people of God finished that wall in 52 days. What can God do through a group of people like us? You know, you think... Sometimes we, we, we have this mentality. Have they heard of refuge? That's the wrong statement to make. I, 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 honestly, I could care less if people have heard of refuge. The better question is, has everyone heard from refuge? That's a better question. Have they heard you can say you're part of the refuge family. Have they heard from you? Have you stepped out? Have you been obedient to the Lord? I pray that you also, all together, we strengthen our hands for the good work that God has for us to do. Which leads us into communion. I wanted to hold that to the, the very end. I know this has been um, a service that has uh, lasted a little, little longer than usual. Um, but it's the beginning of the year, and we wanted to make sure that we gave you the video recap of everything that the Lord had done this year, and then laid out, without holding back, the Word of God and encourage you in this year. Uh, at this moment, if, you've, uh, if you're here for the first time for communion, what we do is, it's, it's, it's a personal thing, as the worship team will come up, you can come up right now, and uh, lead us in worship. You come up individually, you take um, the cracker, which represents uh, God's body, and um, you dip it into um, the juice, which represents his blood, and, um, and then you can take it back to your seat and partake of the elements at that time. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I want to read what the Apostle Paul writes in regards to the Lord's Supper. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Many times we, um, I don't know, we, we, we go across these words and we, we don't think much of them. Maybe we, we do from time to time. But we need to consider these words very carefully. And I was thinking about that one verse here, verse um, 26, where it says that as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So why would, would anyone proclaim 
the Lord's death until he comes back. I mean, that's significant. That is powerful. In fact, that's where all of the power is. It's it's found in the cross. What does that signify in our lives? Well, the cross signifies victory over sin. And the grave, his death, and his resurrection signifies the reality of victory over death. That we will, in Christ, live eternally. As he resurrected from the grave, so we in him are new creatures. And as he ascended to the Father and sits at the right hand of the Father and intercedes for you and I, we have the hope of being resurrected and being in his presence for all eternity. And so here's, here's the message. As it says, as the Apostle Paul starts out in Corinthians, he says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That's why that verse right there, we proclaim his death. Why? Because it's victory over sin and it's a victory over death. And we praise God for being willing to sacrifice, to shed his blood for the remission of sins, to sacrifice his body on our behalf in our stead. And that is God being just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why? Because Jesus stepped in, the unblemished lamb. He did that for you, and he did that for me. He did that for the the whole world. And whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. If we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Why? Because in Christ... We are forgiven, and God's grace covers us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And therefore, the power is in the cross, and we proclaim his death until he comes. And I pray that you consider that as you come and partake of the elements. You dip that cracker into the juice, and you consider the sacrifice of our Lord for each and every one of us. So we're going to conclude the service in this manner, and after you've gone back to your seat and you've prayed and, and you've partaken of, of the elements, you're, you're free to, to get up and, and go, okay? God bless you. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this year. I pray, Lord, that we would pay attention, Lord, that we would be ready, that we would be willing, Father, to be stirred up and be burdened by the things that burden you, to see the world as you see the world. And Lord, that you would help us to be obedient, Father, to walk out to your glory, the things that you have set for us to walk out in our own lives. I pray, Lord, that you would be glorified through your church and through us as we demonstrate our love for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.